1: Up next, Out Loud, with Gianno
6: Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. What can we do for those who have done everything for us? I'm talking about veterans, jobs, mental health, homelessness. Too many of those who have served this country are suffering and need our help. So what can we do? The answer, so much, and there's no time to waste. This is Out Loud with John Caldwell. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianni Caldwell. In honor of Memorial Day, I've got a very special show for you guys this week that I'm really looking forward to. My guest today is a relative of mine, someone who I talk to in my time of need especially. My guest is Dr. Olamontoyan Hines, the owner of Peace of Mind Counseling, Coaching and Consulting. A licensed professional counselor, Toyen has more than 20 years of military service and recently retired from the Illinois National Guard as a brigade chaplain. On top of that, she also happens to be my cousin, as I mentioned earlier. Toyan has so many interesting ideas and powerful insights into how we can better help those who have done so much for us, veterans and their families. We're going to discuss what can be done in terms of jobs, mental health, homelessness, and so much more. This episode means a lot to me, and I hope you will tune in. And now I want to welcome Reverend Dr. Olawantoyan Hines. Thank you so much for joining me on Out Loud with Gianna Caldwell.
2: Thank you for having me. appreciate it.
6: Absolutely. So you are my cousin, but you're more like my sister than my cousin. (laughs) So so we got a a really strong relationship, and I'm very thankful. Uh, Before we discuss how to help veterans and some other issues. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself? What's your background and how did you come into military service?
2: Well, I just retired in September from the military after 26 years. I enlisted as a private and worked my way through enlisted officers, candidate school, um, became a military chaplain so when I retired, I retired the rank of major as a brigade chaplain. In addition, I am an educator in faith community, as well as a minister. And I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor serving veterans and their families.
6: Amen. Now that's beautiful. And I know the governor of Illinois, the former governor, he created a, a position for you to lead the Illinois National Guard. Is that right?
2: Well, it wasn't that wasn't the position to lead. It was um, there were a couple positions that were offered active duty operational support. One was the Wounded Warrior Project, or Wounded Warrior Ministry Project, not to be confused with the Wounded Warrior Project, the for- formal organization. It was the Wounded Warrior Ministry Project, and that program was intended to visit ill, injured, and wounded service members across the United States from the Illinois Army National Guard. So we had service members who deployed, could not come back home for a multitude of reasons, and it was my responsibility to provide pastoral and spiritual care to those service members, checking with their families. Um, I also served as family life chaplain for the Illinois Army National Guard and providing training to chaplains and some important counseling, spiritual counseling to service members and their families.
6: Wow. Now, if you would indulge us a little bit on how old were you when you joined the service and what gave that desire to join? Because it's it's a big commitment and it's a, a life commitment for so many people who join.
2: I joined the military when I was 19 years old. I was already in college my freshman year and I came home. Uh, for summer break. And (laughs) I will tell this very quick story. I was up at three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. And there was an ad that came on for the Joint National Guard. So at three o'clock in the morning, I called the recruiter. Um, I believe he did answer. And uh, to this day, this recruiter and I are still acquainted. In fact, uh, he attended my retirement ceremony virtually. And I made the choice to join the military. I was longing for something more disciplined in my life. Um, My family background, as you know, lends itself to a lot of um, pathology and just kind of disproportionate. How do I say the social uh, opportunities, professional opportunities. And I wanted to create a space for myself while I had more opportunities. And joining the military provided payment for College to receive some funds, and um, what came out of that for me also was a great deal of leadership, learning a lot more about myself. It cultivated me into the person that I am today. A lot of my personality, my personhood, stems from the lessons I've learned in the military throughout. So, that story in three o'clock in the morning, calling the recruiter, summer of my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, and the following year. Actually, in that June, I enlisted, and the following January, I was off to basic training.
6: Now, you have more than 20 years of military service under your belt. What was military service like? Was it something that you were very concerned? Because I know a lot of times, especially in families like ours, people are concerned about sending their loved ones out and the possibility that something could happen to them while they're serving. How was that service experience like for you?
2: It depends on the, the period of, of life or season of my military career that I was in. While enlisted, it was a very different experience. I was in college, so I was commuting from U of I and Urbana to Chicago for military training once a month, in addition to being a college student. Now at the time, I was um, administration for my unit, and so the responsibilities weren't so intense um, as they had become later. However, it was the time away from a college student's routine. So there was this duality of worlds, one as a soldier and then the other as a student. Then I decided, ah, I'll become an officer. And so here I am still in school, um, in undergrad, and going away for officer training and prepping to become an officer. And the intensity of or demand on service was different. There were lots of expectations around leadership, some of which I had not been exposed to. I began to learn more about war and combat from a front, not from an administrative lens. Now we're talking about strategy and operation and how, as an officer, the expectation to function in those conditions and states. And then there was the part when I did become an officer and the mentality of switching from being enlisted to being an officer, the expectation of demands, and I was a chaplain. What was unique to my chaplaincy is that I was the first female chaplain candidate in the Illinois National Gu- Army National Guard and the first female cha- chaplain, first female chaplain candidate. And there was this nuance that one, people had not been exposed to women chaplains. And there was the cultural component impacted by that. So there, there all these, uh, so my dualities became more <laughs> quadrupled. Here I am still a student. I'm now a, a soldier and officer, and I am a chaplain. And I'm also a woman, and I'm also African American, and so throughout my career, I dealt with um, barriers, and I wouldn't and, and I had to, cre- I had to work hard to create spaces for myself to prove um, not myself to people, but my pr- my presence, my presence in those spaces, and so I worked really hard to. Accomplish and, and my passion in taking care of service members and families has always, that's, that's my value. That's my intrinsic value. So that remained. And yet I was dealing with these external forces that sometimes made that value complex.
6: Now, that's interesting, and uh, for everybody that's listening, they can tell you're clearly a super smart person. <laughs> I love your word usage. Uh, you know, you talk about barriers, and so often people deal with barriers in life in, in multiple ways, but when you're thinking about military service, it's certainly an entirely different ball game than what I may experience as someone who's never been a part of that life. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what those barriers might have been or how did you, you handle them? Cause this, as you mentioned, it's a very complex situation.
2: I, there are, there are so many narratives to tell. And I, and I, I will, I will point to the, the ones that have been turning points for my way of being and thinking. I recall as a chaplain candidate and having An NCO, and I will say this, or a caveat, or preface it with this that not every person in the military, I've had these, I've had some really wonderful experiences, but some of these were really tough and and to process. Um, And so this NCO, uh, I was was to receive a reward, and this NCO was was responsible for typing up the paperwork. I'm in the room, and he out loud says, Some people don't deserve, uh, you know, different things. Well, there was a time when I was going to get out of the military, and so I was okay with putting that aside, only to find out that that NCO had not processed my paperwork for me to get out, and that um, I was still in the military, even got promoted while I was on inactive reserve, which is what he placed me in. And which was a blessing in disguise because I, I was still in the military. I got to stay. Those years weren't good years, so they didn't count. But it was that kind of she. I was I was in the air defense artillery unit, by the way, uh, and not that those those uh, service members are bad, but I, I I have to say this: we're in 2021, and I was they are doing a time when the presence of females was novice. It was like, if, if ever at all, let alone a chaplain or chaplain candidate. And so I was a part of a time when the things that are unfolding now, people were just whispering about maybe, or, um, had their, their objections to. I've had plenty of opportunities where, um, individuals would try and, sabotage certain aspects of my career. <laughs> I remember being on deployment and, um, I deployed to Kosovo and I was the only female chaplain. So this was the first time the Serbian Albanian religious community would have been exposed to a female chaplain. And before I even came in country, the task force chaplain had to inquire of the religious leaders. Were they comfortable having a conversation with the female chaplain. We're talking about imams. <laughs> um, And so it was like, like in other spaces, you would not need permission (laughs) as a professional. My colleagues didn't need permission and then permission needed to be asked of me. And so those were some of the barriers, but they also taught me that my voice and my presence matters in spaces and I have to do well Not to perform well, to leave an impression of, see, I told you, but to do well so that other people who follow, they have credibility after me. I think this lines up for me, especially Memorial Day. Uh, And I I apologize if I'm going segue. Memorial Day coming up, thinking about those African-American service members who lost their life in service. When I am dialoguing with other veterans or service members and to hear their narrative of the things that they had to overcome during their times of service being called out their name. And I don't mean buddy, friend, pal being treated unfairly by their peers or in community when they, when, when they were out on off post or even on post, and so when I hear their narratives and the hardships they had to experience and the hardships I experienced. But over time, things improve. Um, nonetheless, the, the way is paved. And so this is my experience in the military is a part of a, a legacy of those who have gone before me long long before me prior to Vietnam and World War One and World War II, all of those, even d- d- during Civil War. Um, the legacy goes back that far. And so I, in my own career, was diligent about being the person that my ancestors could respect.
6: That's really interesting. I want to continue from there in a moment right after a quick break.
3: And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
5: Savings based on cost of Consumer cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
7: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L E E S A dot com slash iHeart.
6: You know what's so interesting about what you just said is it's, it's entirely bigger than you, completely yes. and totally. And that's whether it be in you operating in your your capacity, obviously your professional capacity and what you're doing in the right here and now you are literally creating a trail for others. And I think that's clearly what service is about your fellow man or woman, uh, ensuring that certainly there's space for them and, and we honor, honor you for that and certainly for everyone that died. Uh, in honor of their country. I think this is like the greatest sacrifice you can ever give. So I really, really appreciate that. And I'm thankful for your story. Now, I know faith has played such an important and exceptional part of your life. How does faith play in your role in counseling?
2: In, in my role in counseling, I, I function around a practice called psychotheological integration and what that means incorporating psychology, theology, or one's belief system, and bringing those clinical and spiritual worlds together. It's really done by holding space. Uber has this I-thou concept, the respect of the other. There's this mutual positive regard. And so in that space, it's very different from being a pastoral counselor. It's very different from being a minister. It's very different from being a clinical therapist because you are enveloping all these worlds not based off of where you are but you're basing it off of where is this person that has allowed me to journey with him so for my for practice that is how it I navigate it it can be I have worked with everyone from Muslims, to Wiccans, to spiritualists, to Buddhists, to Christians. So the spectrum of holding space has nothing to do with one's denomination. It has to do with this authentic human experience uh, that we have. I hold space for myself, knowing that the work I'm doing is for the greater good. And I am able to then be present with the other to connect with them based off of what their needs are, so that they can do their work to become well.
6: Wow. Okay. Let me ask you this question because, as a faith person, and what I see is totally different than military. Clearly, and I've never served, uh, and I want to say unfortunately, <laughs> because I think it's such, it's such a great, uh, a great honor to serve. But uh, have you noticed, as I've seen across the country, where there seems to be. Somewhat of a marginalization around faith, people of faith, and this usurping of of that that freedom of religious faith to be able to state what you are, who you are, and, and to embrace it. You know, in a lot of cases, people are looking to take God out of the Constitution, take him off the dollar bill. We've seen that occur. Over the years, and, and I would argue that it seems as though it's much more prevalent than it was previously. Have you seen any of that in the military? Have you felt as though, you know, you've seen people's roles, whether it be you or someone else, marginalized because of their commitment to faith or their espousing of it?
2: Um, in the military, it is quite different. Chaplains are in the military because we support the free exercise of religion. That is our that is our one of our responsibilities to ensure the free exercise of religion. And so the exposure I've had with individuals of different denominations, my responsibility has been to ensure that they have the space to practice, I either perform or provide. Perform meaning I perform according to my tenets of faith, um as a Christian and provide meaning if I have a service member who is Buddhist or Wiccan or Ishkan um whatever, then I am to ensure that they have space and time to practice. The caveat to that is as long as it doesn't interfere with mission. And I've had to navigate that part for them. So I've been more of an advocate to ensure, well, you know, Friday, (laughs) prayers need to happen. And so what missions are going on that allow space for individuals of practice or sabbath or mass any of those any of those experiences so my responsibility even food restrictions t- to ensure that those things are accommodated for the service members as it relates to society at large <laughs> transitioning out of the military even though I've served duly a lot of my mindset shifts towards military structure I find that individuals like to be able to make their own choices about how they like things to be. And it's not always about collective community consciousness. So when it comes to this um, divisive stance around the announcement, respect of perspective of religions and removal of certain things to create this, Unified structure. I go back historically to the reason why things were established the way they were from the beginning and the individuals who are protesting these things now did not have access or a voice in those decisions. Now individuals have a voice and they're using that voice to articulate their preferences based off of their individual selves, not the collective often. And so that is, in my mind, how I'm able to navigate. Well, you want this removed because you weren't a part of the decision-making process. Of course you were not. And now you have a voice. That's social justice. I can advocate and speak for myself. That is what society says. uh, A a democratic society says we have permission to do. Permission. I use that very (laughs) interestingly, of course. Um, And so people do it. So when it comes to this Perspective around. How religions are fluid or not fluid or diversified or not diversified, what's accessible, what's not um, what is labeled or not, it's about, well, I wasn't part of the decision making process. So now I want to be a part of it now. And it doesn't mean systemically things will change. It just means that people now have a voice.
6: And and I I appreciate that point of view, uh, that they want to have a voice, but it seems as though some of the voices of, because you just mentioned, is not the collective. So it's someone who's uniquely disseminating whatever message that they feel is most conducive to how they believe. But it feels as though in some context that individuals are looking to usurp a person's right to express their faith. And we, this is clearly not all military. I've never served in the military, but in corporations, if you say like, Oh, I'm a Christian, I pray, or, and I know there's supposed to be no, uh, um, you, you, you're not supposed to discriminate against individuals, but we've seen where individuals have announced their faith and they've been fired from jobs or whereas we see that there's a condemnation of certain belief systems. Oh, and, yes. So it's 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 just a very, really interesting place right now. And I was really interested in, in knowing if you had any personal experiences with that in the military, which you, you kind of went into. So thank you for, for uh, mentioning that. And I'm hoping and praying that it will never be a time where a person serving in the military can't proudly announce their faith. Uh, and, and you know, I'm a Christian just like you are. And I think it's so important the faith plays a part in everything that we do, whether it be professional or personally, it makes all the difference in the world in my viewpoint and per my experience.
2: Well, to to say how prevalent or how significant is on our ID tags, or some people will call them dog tags, our religious preference is listed (laughs) on our, with our social security number, our name and blood type. So is your religious, your denominational preference. And I would sadly say the reason that is listed on there is that in case of a loss, that the appropriate rights can be given to you in your passing. So there's a huge consideration of what faith means to uh, military personnel, even at at death. So that's how, that's the extent that diversity and the understanding, but again, The practice, as long as it doesn't interfere with mission, that's the practice. Uh, We can talk about other aspects of religion, uh, of where people served in the military and how that impacts them. I've had those experiences with individuals and the bias and discrimination that comes with that. And what that means for other cultures or even those of other cultures who serve in the military. So, and And those practices of discrimination um, based off of the way one looks or the way one speaks, or being called a trigger because of a deployment experience. So those things are real as well. so the it it's really um, and I think I'm being very uh, over generalizing um, this message, but I'm trying to be very clear that it's not all. It's some, but it is there.
6: And the unfortunate part about the is not all or some is the the some sometimes control the conversation because they're the vocal minority. And those are the people who who are written about, who are reported on. And I'm talking about reporting from a journalistic standpoint. And we we begin to think that maybe there is a change that's occurring in the in the military service, but I pray and hope that we'll see a continuation of a positive uh, faith-based experience, being able to be who you are and not uh, have to change for the sake of what uh, a few may think or say. So I appreciate that. Thank you for explaining that to us. Now, we know veterans across the country are dealing with a lot of issues from jobs, mental health, homelessness, and we're talking about folks who've already left the service and we see signs when we're on the free, you know, leaving the freeway, exiting off, or somebody may say, hey, I'm a veteran, or people are on the street wearing their uh, veteran, veteran hats and they're asking for change or they're homeless or whatever the case may be. And there's a lot of people who feel very patriotic around helping um, individuals like that and helping veterans, broadly uh, speaking, are those general principles should we apply in terms of help helping them? What should we be thinking about when we're talking about Memorial Day? How can we serve those who've given everything for our freedom? How can we better serve them?
2: Um. So I'm just gonna get, answer the the lat like the latter part, and maybe that'll be inclusive of the other parts um, that you spoke on. Uh, I I believe that.
6: In, in terms in terms of how can we serve veterans who have given everything for us? How can we honor them? Because we've seen a lot of folks who are dealing with homelessness, mental issues. Uh, you see them on the corner with signs and they're a veteran and they need help. How can we honor their sacrifice as they fought for our freedom or rather your sacrifice? You all sacrifice, I should say.
2: So, so I, I, have, I have mixed positions about that from a personal lens and from, um, a professional one Okay. Um, from a professional lens, it's, um, individuals who, who served and served well or not so well, they still served and they are, they're due the respect of service and the benefits they're entitled to because of that service, whether that be through the VA, communal support, veteran service organizations, etc. Then there are some who, uh, by life chance, make choices that impact the life of other people. And so, my bias in that is. To what extent are those individuals? They're eligible for the benefits, they're eligible for the service, but how, to what extent are they eligible for the supportive community? And, and this is probably leaning in a lot of different directions. Service members, like everybody else, while we serve, we're also human beings we are also citizens of this country and while we have the respect of service we still have to follow the protocols the laws the system etc we don't we don't get away with things just because of service so when it comes to the impact of mental health When it comes to the impact of homelessness, when it comes to the impact of job loss, uh, incarceration, all those um, things that impact service members just like everybody else, it's what is the individual's narrative that brings them into the space. And I think first the first thing to help is to understand the story, to find out if help is necessary. Because there are times when help is not necessary, but desired. And then there are times when help is necessary. And then there are times when help is deserved. And then there's times when you're entitled to, and, and I'm not talking about entitlement in terms of privilege. I mean like entitlement to B, VA benefits, entitlements to, you know, um, VA home loan benefits, etc. And so I, I always encourage people find out what the person's narrative is, understand their story, not f- from a place of judgment but from a place of uh, unconditional positive regard, to be the listener, not to do anything or to fix anything, but to simply engage, just to engage. And then you'll understand what needs are unmet, but you'll only know those specifically when you ask. So for women veterans, the assumptions around women veterans in their service. Well, some of our healthcare needs are different from our male counterparts. So to assume that women veterans need the exact same healthcare, right? Yeah. Or the exact same services and wanting a community wanted to do something without asking what is the need? What is the support? um sometimes the need for homeless women veterans are different from male veterans sometimes the mental health issues for women veterans are different than male veterans and so it's about asking the question to find out what resources are necessary and deserved and if support can be rendered I want to pick up from
6: there in a moment, but first, let's go to break.
1: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep
0: experts.
1: (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need.
6: You know, and that's, that's such a I don't think a lot of people take time to kind of think about that, to engage on that level, because it's almost like you're just passing by someone on the street and you thank them for their service and you try to help them out with whatever you have in your pocket. So it's, it's on a, a very micro level in terms of that level of engagement. People a lot of times don't even take the time to say, hey, you know, how did how did you get how did you get here? No one, no one, not many people take that time to do that. Not understand your point in terms of, hey, sometimes in those situations, you can have a veteran that's dealing with mental health issues and they don't want the help. They're just they're on the street, just like you see a lot of folks generally in the state of California or anywhere else where homelessness or in the state of California is about 150,000 people. And some mm-hmm. folks just choose to be in those set of circumstances. There's other that need, others that need help. But according to Military Times, there's about 37,000 homeless veterans. Um, and that's as, that number is as recent as this year that who need help. But then you see individuals who come into the country and in some cases illegally. And there's billions of dollars being spent um, for them to take care of them. But it doesn't seem to be that same level of urgency for those who actually serve the country. Is, is, is that something that you've noticed?
2: I, I think that um, organizations, let me say agencies, <laughs> let me say agencies tend to rely on the systems that they put in place to support those of us who serve, like the VA administration. They, like, you can go to the VA. Well, not everybody's eligible for VA benefits. And so sometimes I think that the aside is well, we have services for veterans already. We have programs for veterans already. And so the space created and systems created to support veterans, then um, they have to do their diligence to ensure that these um, veteran pandemics, if you will, or veteran concerns or issues that are prevalent are reduced. Thus leaving time for other people to to be concerned about uh, immigration and all the other aspects that, uh, that you, you speak of. And so I think that's what happens, um, that it's kind of a pass off <laughs> to the VA or other systems in place. Um, homelessness among vet- veteran population, um, as you stated, has grown. And I would say also, then, if you consider during Vietnam, the Vietnam era, how service members were treated when they came home, in addition to the segregation that still existed in the country, and to say, well, they want to stay on the street. Well, you didn't receive me then. So (laughs) why why should I go and, and get your help now? And I know I've worked with quite a few Vietnam veterans who've made that statement. When I came home, I had to throw my uniform in the garbage because of how people treated me or African-American veterans, the the discrimination that they dealt with in returning home. And so why would I, if I am homeless, why would I want to go to a system that has already abandoned me?
6: So there's, there's a duality there. And, and, and the, the point of, and I understand that period of time, we're certainly in a much different period of time. However, oh, yes. however, the, even the referencing of the VA, we know how the VA was really failing veterans for many years. People, people said, hey, we need to, we're not getting the adequate care that we should be getting at the VA, VA hospital system or the VA system, generally speaking. And that was one of the things that needed to be fixed. And I think that that fixing of it came around 2017, I believe it was. And I'm sure there's still much more work to be done. No no doubt about that. But do you feel, uh, in, in your opinion, the current VA system if, is effective at providing the care that our veterans need?
2: It depends on which VA you go to. And I'm not going to lie about that. I'm talking as a veteran now. <laughs> I have heard... Uh, so many stories um, from fellow veterans, whether they're clients or colleagues about the VA system and how they function and operate. When I, I've had my own share of experiences, believe it or not. Um, So I think that it depends on the administration at that particular VA and how they operate That does make a huge difference um, in the type of service. Now, has service improved over time? I would say from my own experiences and use of the VA, it has changed quite dramatically. Quite a bit um, to the degree where if providers aren't available, um, they have community care where you can see a provider, a civilian provider, but... um, be a connected provider in the community to receive services. Did they have that prior to, I think this, they started with the choice program a few years ago. This was after I came back from deployment. So this is before 2010, they didn't have this. So you're talking about level of care, quality of care, waiting time. Do I have appointments that I can't get into until August and it's May? Yes, I do. Absolutely. That happens. Um, is it a failure of the system or th- them lacking care? I don't think it's a lack of care. I think it's just how administrations are able to maintain uh, their, their systems, their staff um, and, and what's happening. Um, so the, there are two different parts. There's the administrative part and then there's the care of the veteran when they're entering in that space. Am I respected and cared for when I go to the VA, when I go to my appointments in women's health and ignore all the other things? I'm okay. When I receive good, great care from my providers. Have there been times when I didn't receive quality service? Absolutely. And that's where they have patient advocates and you can inquire and inform and let them know about a service or something that does not meet um your expectation as as a veteran so there while the system really had some issues i i do see some progress being made in terms of the care i receive i do have other colleagues who are not getting the same care and i I'm, a, I'm an advocate, and so I say you can ask for the services that you need. You can inquire. You can educate this provider on military culture because sometimes they don't know. Um, you can correct them if some statement is made that impacts your care. So there, there are these layers around the systems that do exist. The other part to what you're saying are... Um, the veterans that are in the spaces with other veterans right and sometimes the that behavior or what occurs is not managed and creates other issues or other problems but um, again you have advocates in the space that you can report to to ensure you're kept safe or if you have concerns around those as much as you do with the staff
6: right uh-huh. Now, if you could reform the system, the VA system, that is, what reforms would you, you make?
2: Uh, I would make reforms to better care for women veterans, better holistic care for women veterans. Military sexual trauma seems to be the buzzword that lingers around. We're talking about women veterans. That's not the only type of care that is necessary for women veterans. Some of us have really high functioning careers um, and, and professions, which require us to maintain a certain level of what we call in a military operation tempo, very heightened. And so to understand what how military service impacts not just the sexual trauma survivor, but the combat veteran, the person who witnessed trauma, heard about trauma, um, all those other things, especially women veterans, is significantly important. I would add those pieces to the administration, not just for women veterans, but for male veterans as well, because sometimes that's missed. Um, I will offer an aspect. I would include the aspect of holistic care, which includes not just trauma treatment, but basic life. Reentry, if you will. I, as a veteran, I serve. I also have PTSD and from complex traumas connected to the military, and it is it has become very important to me that individuals are aware that while one might be diagnosed, the diagnosis is not a frame of reference for who they are and their being. Uh, In fact, uh, people are still able to function in a very specific way in their careers. And so I would offer to the VA programs or services or have them consider how do we support those individuals as well, Uh, because that's often the stereotype goes that if you're a veteran with PTSD, then you are like this. And I think I'm very clear that I'm a veteran with PTSD and I have a service dog. And I function like this. And, and you, you have so a PhD too. <laughs> right. And, and I can articulate well and I can advocate for myself and I can do all of those high functioning things. I still have PTSD and don't let the diagnosis treat, allow you to treat me less.
6: And we've and seen I that throughout our country, good. our country's history, those who have been diagnosed with PTSD, they are in some respects treated like they're throwaways, like you're unable to fully function and be a part of our society. It's almost like, oh, man, it's sad that yeah. person had P- PTSD when, you know, you look at places like Chicago where there's an obviously military services supreme, but there's a lot of people who are walking around with PTSD and don't even know it.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's community trauma, <laughs> you know, as you know, impacted by that. I mean, exposure to violence. PTSD is not just what you did, it's about what you witnessed and also heard. So I don't think if people understood the criterion of PTSD, um, they will also understand and vicarious trauma and all those other aspects of it. So there are many layers to this and to your questions like what would I infuse into the VA system? I would infuse that. Like, let's do some community work around people understanding and understanding PTSD in this, in this wholeness, not just in the part where you're a veteran, you went off the combat, yes, you have PTSD, but other people who experience other types of trauma have to work really hard to prove that those are their traumas.
6: What an uh, interesting dichotomy that is, uh, being in those spaces. Well, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask you because we're family and you've seen me since obviously I was a little kid. Uh, yes. what, 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 if you could give people who are listening because folks are interesting, interested in you know, my background, how I grew up, and of course I talked about it in the book, Taken for Granted, uh, but what would you say about me then and now? What would your, your, your overarching, concise analysis be?
2: I, I'm gonna pause on this one because my heart just fluttered.
6: Oh wow! Um,
2: out of out of my love for you and my respect for your path and your journey, and I think people assume a lot and take for granted. Not not to pull away from your book, but to plug it, um, <laughs> take for granted. Um. Your story and your why, your why, and I'm privy to the why and to the story, so I get the I get the whole picture that is you. Um, but people who meet you and are impressed, and and you do have a lasting impression, but to feel the energy of your story behind how you move and how you function, and how you operate, and why you move, and why you operate, and why you function the way that you do, is not because you are your story. It's because you have a story to tell. And I assume that sometimes people either will wanna put you in the past with your narrative or in the present of where they want you to be or see you, and you are living in your now, and to experience you in your now, that is what gives great honor to these authentic connections that you have with others, where they begin to understand a little bit more of you as you permit them to, that they respect your journey, which includes your story, but they're also open to the next chapters as you have them be, not the way they need you to be. No. And I think that knowing how proud you are and not in pride of who you are as a person and in always discovering your becoming, to honor that not as an insecurity, that is a value that's driven by your longing for more, more growth, more understanding, more wisdom, and to share that with others. Who are open to receiving it with open arms, not closed fists, like they're wanting to fight you for it. Um, and so I've seen how you've been with family. I've seen how you've been with me in my journey with trauma and PTSD. And I can say your delicate heart Um And your golden smile and the sun that shines through you, that light that shines through you. I hope people will always see that and respect it and not make assumptions about it. And honor your narrative, your story, your journey for that. But you have grown into this beautiful soul. You've always had a beautiful soul. But you've grown into this very strong man of substance. And that makes me proud.
6: Wow, that was <laughs> that was pretty profound. Thank you, thank you for sharing it. I feel like I just went to uh, counseling with Dr. Oluwatoyin. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for everything you you mean to me, and you've been with me through some of the more interesting phases of life. And I appreciate your love, your commitment to always pushing me forward. And just being someone that I count on is one of my closest and dearest. So I love you so much. Thank you for joining me. It's such an honor to have you on here. And thank you for all all of what you do for yourself and your fellow veterans. Thank you for joining Out Loud with Giano Caldwell. I wanna thank Dr. and Hines again for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us for five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingers360.com and I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. And please sign up for my monthly newsletter at gingers360.com slash outloud. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and parlor at Gianno Caldwell. And if you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our producer John Cassio, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and Speaker New Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network.
4: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For
5: years, and I really like it.
7: slash iHeart.